it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. When we suffer as servants together, we are fulfilling our destiny as Christians. You're listening to the Holy Joy Sermon Podcast. Visit us at holyjoys.org to find more resources for a holy, happy church. We're going to continue our series in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. And we are going to be looking at some lengthier portions of Philippians in uh, later sermons. Next time we will be finally at the Christ hymn of chapter 2, which is the Mount Everest of the book and and a mountain peak in all of Scripture, one of the most beautiful uh, and theologically rich passages of Scripture about Jesus, our suffering servant. But we're concluding here Paul's opening chapter, verses 27 to 30. And I, I say Paul's opening chapter, but of course you know that chapter divisions were not in the original text of Scripture, neither verse divisions. I'm very grateful for them, but it is something to be aware of because sometimes the chapter divisions are are in some ways unhelpful because it seems like it creates a break in the text where there really isn't one. And uh, I might suggest to you that an equally viable or perhaps even better place to put a chapter break is right here at verse 27 because we are really at a transition point in Paul's letter this morning. Up until this point, Paul has been discussing his own affairs, how he is in prison, how the gospel is advancing through him despite his imprisonment, how Christ will be honored in his life, whether he is released from prison or in his death if he is executed. And throughout this opening portion, Paul has rejoiced in his friendship with the Philippians, how he holds them in his heart how he yearns for them all with the affection of Christ, and how their partnership in the gospel is a source of joy to him. But now in verse 27, Paul writes, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's going to begin discussing their affairs, especially their need to be unified as a church. And if you recall the The title for this sermon series is Servants Together for the Gospel. And Paul is now going to exhort the Philippians about the importance of unity, oneness of mind, and cooperation in their labors for the gospel. When Paul writes to Pastor Timothy and Titus in the pastoral epistles, he emphasizes that that church leaders are called to exhort Titus 2.15 says that church leaders are to exhort with all authority. But Hebrews 3.13 extends this duty to all Christians. It says, exhort one another every day. To exhort is to strongly encourage or urge someone to do what is right. And as Christians, we encourage and urge one another to keep doing what Jesus wants us to do. It's not just the pastor's responsibility. But here we see Paul setting an example for how to exhort. He's beginning a portion in his letter 
in which he is going to strongly urge the Philippians to do what is right. Now, I really wanted to emphasize this morning because notice the order. First, there's this lengthy portion where Paul is talking about their friendship. And he's talking about his own affairs. He's sharing his life with them. And now he's moving to where he is exhorting them and urging them to do certain things. And now he's going to talk about their affairs. You can say many things, even hard things, to a fellow Christian, provided that you have built a friendship with them and shared your life with them. If you begin exhorting other people and telling them what they ought to do before you've established their trust and their favor, they're very likely going to reject you. Now, that doesn't justify such a response, right? We know that as Christians, we should be willing to receive an exhortation from anyone at any time. And if it's true, we should be willing to listen and, and, and do what we need to do to respond appropriately. But we know that it's just the way that it is, that the best exhortations come out of the context of a loving relationship. Some of the best parenting advice I, I've ever received probably it's from a friend of mine who said, you can discipline your children pretty firmly as long as you love them harder. If you're going to discipline firmly, if you're going to exhort them and tell them what they should be doing, make sure they know you love them harder. You know, for every exhortation, give them 10 kisses and hugs. Make sure they know how much you love them. And Paul has been just pouring his love into the Philippians. And he's being sincere. I mean, he really loves them. He yearns with the affection of Christ. In fact, he actually vows a vow, if you recall. He's pledging a vow in God's presence that he's sincere in his affection for them. But now out of the context of this loving relationship, as Christians, there's things that need to be said, hard things, because we love in the truth. We love in the truth. Some Christians, seems like they're all about truth. They're all about telling you what you need to do, but it's not sprinkled with salt, right? Seasoned with grace, as Paul says. There's not the love and the trust and the relationship there, and, and it can be very, very hard to receive those kinds of exhortations. That's not God's will. But God's will also isn't that we just kind of have this sentimentality where we just, we love everybody, but we avoid the hard things. We avoid hard discussions. Love has the hard discussions. It says the things that need to be said, but it says them in the context of a trusting and mutually supportive relationship. And so as we move towards this portion of exhortation, I really want to emphasize that Paul isn't telling a bunch of strangers what to do, although he had the authority to do that as an apostle. He's writing to friends, fellow Christians, servants together for the gospel. Augustine said, I am a bishop over you, but first I am a Christian with you. Servants together for the gospel. Let's stand together this morning as we turn to Philippians 1, verses 27 to verse 30. This is God's word for us this morning. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, 
that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we transition to this portion in Paul's letter of exhortation, I pray, God, that you would help us to receive this as an exhortation from you. This is not only the words of Paul, but this is the, these are words that are inspired by your Holy Spirit, and they're for us this morning. And I pray, God, that you would receive this exhortation. And then, God, that you would use us as instruments through which you exhort others, that we would exhort one another this week, that we would strongly urge and encourage one another in our relationships as a church, but that we would do it out of the context of a, of a loving and trusting and supportive uh, friendship with other members of the body, God that you would help us to think of one person that we can exhort this week for their good and for the good and the health of our church, God. I pray, Lord, that you would give us receptive hearts, that we would not only be hearers of this word, but doers also. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. may be seated. Paul begins by emphasizing the need to walk worthy of the gospel. If you recall, I shared a sermon, I think it was my second sermon here on Ephesians 4 where Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Remember how we talked about the need to to maintain unity? And I gave the illustration of of, uh, the royal family. If you're a member of the royal family, you are expected to conduct yourself in a certain way, in a way that's worthy of your title and your status, and in a way that reflects well on the royal family. And I said that as Christians, we're part of God's royal family. You know, through this gospel, we are children of the king. We're expected to walk in in a way that's mature and dignified and glorifying to God, but above all else, in a way that maintains the unity of the Spirit. And Paul in Ephesians 4 elevates unity, harmony, a desire for unity in the church to the primary characteristic of a person who's walking worthy of the gospel. And here we are again in Philippians 1 verse 27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And what does he say once again? Standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Once again, he's saying that a mature Christian is a unifying Christian. Why is it that unity is so necessary for us to reflect well on the gospel? Well, if you recall in Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6, Paul says that those who believe the gospel are united in one body. There's only one church. I mean, there's many local churches, but Jesus has one church scattered throughout the earth. There's only one body. Jesus has one body united by his Holy Spirit. 
There's one Holy Spirit. We all participate in the same Holy Spirit. We're called the one hope. We have one Lord. We have one faith, Paul says. We have one baptism. We all plunge into the same baptismal waters. And we have one God and one Father of all. So you see, the gospel is all about unity. And so if we're going to live a life that's worthy of that gospel, we need to strive for oneness as well. One church unified around one mission, one Savior, a oneness that transcends all of our differences. And so Paul begins by saying, first of all, we walk worthy of the gospel when we work together with unity for the sake of the gospel. It's not about us. It's not about our agenda, but it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and working together to do what's best for the common good. Paul wanted the Philippian church to be known for their unity so that even in prison, he could hear reports of their unity. There's a question that I was thinking about as I was preparing the sermon. It's not enough to just not be a troublemaker. Right, But Paul says that you're actually supposed to be known for your unity. It's supposed to be so evident that you are a person pursuing peace. And so would someone look at you or me and say, he cares about unity. She really makes an effort to live at peace with everyone. Or would someone look at you or me and say, he's quick to judge. He jumps on everyone's faults. He's really touchy. And sadly, a lot of churches are known for their disunity, like the Corinthian church. What a mess, right? I hear there are divisions among you. He's getting a report. They are known for their disunity. Paul says, I want to hear that's a church that, man, they, they know what they're about. They're on mission. They're working together. They really care about the gospel going forward in their community. You know, I'm thankful that our church is a unified church. And I'm not just saying that. I've remarked that to my wife. I've remarked that to my pastor friends. I've sensed that from the very beginning. I sensed that in Brother Leonard, that he really, whatever happened, he wanted to make sure that on the one hand, as a church, we are holding fast to the truth, but that as we do that, we do it in a way that's unified. There's harmony. There's not infighting. There's not tension, but that we are unified as a church and as a body. And I think that as a church, we will stay unified as long as we keep our eyes on the prize of the gospel and Jesus Christ, that we remember what what it's all about. It's not about us. And when we do that, it's a lot easier to overlook a fault. It's a lot easier to forgive a brother because there's something bigger at stake. I I had a friend one time who, who told me that if you're moving forward, it's harder to get into a tailspin you got forward momentum. But if you're just kind of floating along, it's easier to get sidetracked and fight with one another. But as long as everything's pulling in the forward direction and everybody's eyes are on the prize, we're all moving forward, it's a lot harder for us to get our eyes on one another. And that's why a missional church is a unified church. We've got to remember what we are for so that we don't turn against one another. And Paul says that we need to be of one mind, striving together for the sake of the gospel. Secondly, we walk worthy of the gospel when we suffer together with courage for the sake of the gospel. 
as the Philippian church was striving for the gospel, I mean, they were moving forward and Paul was, was moving forward for the gospel. He was a missional Christian. They began to face persecution. You know when a church is serious about going forward and moving forward? Satan doesn't like that. And he fights. If you're encountering problems, it might be that you're doing something for the kingdom. It might be a sign that God is actually at work. If ever, I mean, we're just kind of drifting along. Satan doesn't really care about that, right? We'll all just deteriorate and everything will fall apart. But if we're moving forward, if we are hopeful, if we are optimistic, because we have confidence in the promise of Jesus that I will build my church, Satan doesn't like that. He's going to fight us. He's going to resist us. And there's going to be people who don't like it. Paul encourages the Philippians, don't be frightened in anything. Don't be intimidated by your opponents. If we keep pressing forward and people stand against us, Paul says it's a clear sign of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Paul thinks that as the Philippians maintain courage in the face of those who oppose them, that these opponents will realize that this kind of remarkable strength could only come from God. And anyone who continues to stand in the way of God's people is going to be marked for destruction. Paul is a great example of this, of course. We talked about this last time. And he wants the Philippians to follow his example. He's in prison. He's being opposed and oppressed for the gospel. But he is joyfully facing that persecution. And you know, right now, maybe you don't feel like you're facing persecution. Maybe you don't feel like you're suffering for the gospel. Maybe you don't feel like you're, you're facing great difficulty. But if we work together and we strive together long enough, we are going to face difficulty. And when that time comes, we need to remember Paul's words. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. When we suffer as servants together, when we face difficulty and overcome challenges together, we are fulfilling our destiny as Christians. Because remember, if we follow Jesus, we go where he goes, and he went to the cross. The great apostle Paul, he suffered, and he was a signpost to the great suffering servant, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like Jesus, the suffering servant, we are suffering servants together for the gospel. And as we work together, and as we struggle together, and as we overcome difficulty together, our unity is actually increased. You know, hopefully when a family goes through a hard time, the death of a loved one or a financial crisis or whatever, hopefully it brings them closer together. And if we suffer together and we struggle together, we overcome difficulty together, as long as our eyes are on the gospel, the cords of the gospel that bind us as a church will be tightened and strengthened. Our trust will be built in one another. So my encouragement to you this morning is that a life that's worthy of the gospel is spent. It's poured out, working and suffering together with the church for the sake of the gospel. Thank you for listening to the Holy Joy Sermon Podcast. 
Our labors for a holy, happy church are supported by generous listeners like you. Please pray about partnering with us at holyjoys.org forward slash donate.